Hi, my name is Winifred Mock, and this is Win's Literary Corner. I am a martial artist and filmmaker. My most recent project is a comedy series called Project FIA, which you can find on Amazon if you are in the UK or USA. Uh, and if you're not, we also have a podcast, which is pretty interesting to listen to, called Project FIA Goes PC. It's a supplement program based on filmmaking and other topics. For fun, I like to teach English literature, so this podcast will share my love of reading and books and might be useful to students of English and English literature, particularly for GCSE, IB, and A-level students. In this podcast, I'll be looking at an overview of techniques. I won't go too in-depth because it really depends on what you're studying and what you're reading, but I hope that my approach can offer a different perspective that might enhance your own interests and your own learning. So for the first episode, we're looking at contextual analysis. Now, sometimes when you study a text, it is unseen, so you don't know where it comes from, you don't know the background, you don't know the... Um, author, but when you have this information, when you have the research, this is called contextual analysis because you understand the context, the author, the era. Now to start off with, we're going to look at William Wordsworth, who was a poet from the Romantic era. Before this, let's, let's set it up, the context. In the earlier 18th century of Europe, it was the age of reason, the enlightenment, where people were really interested in the scientific discoveries and basically putting an emphasis on rational thought. Romanticism was a reaction against this, and the romantics really want to embrace these aesthetic experiences of beauty, of nature, of emotion, rather than this sort of scientific rationalization of everything. So the poem that I'm going to look at today is the Tables Turned. I'll read it to you now. This is The Tables Turned by William Wordsworth. Up, up, my friend, and quit your books, or surely you'll grow double. Up, up, my friend, and clear your looks. Why all this toil and trouble? The sun above the mountain's head, a freshening luster mellow. Through all the long green fields has spread his first evening yellow. Books, tis a dull and endless strife. Come hear the woodland linnet. How sweet is music on my life. There's more of wisdom in it. And hark how blithe the throstle sings. He too is no mean preacher. Come forth into the light of things. Let nature be your teacher. She has a world of ready wealth. Our minds and hearts to bless. Spontaneous wisdom breathed by health. Truth breathed by cheerfulness. One impulse from the vernal wood may teach you more of man, of moral evil and of good, than all the sages can. Sweet is the lore which nature brings, our meddling intellect, misshapes the beauteous forms of things, we murder to dissect. Enough of science and art, close up those barren leaves, Come forth and bring with you a heart that watches and receives. So that was The Tables Turned by William Wordsworth. And we can see here that with 
the explanation I gave you in regard to the romantics, we know that the key themes that they really look at are emotions, intuition, nature, the opposition, which is science and rational thought, and the fact that they're also trying to break down these sort of uh, social and aristocratic barriers. And so Wordsworth's language is very colloquial. There's also a quote here by Wordsworth. He says, The majority of the following poems are to be considered as experiments. They were chiefly written with a view to ascertain how far the language of conversation in the middle and lower classes of society is adapted to the purpose of poetic pleasure. So he's actually trying to break down these social boundaries through his poetry. Now, knowing this context, how can we approach a poem like this using the information we have? You can plan your structure uh, using the the key themes. So let's have a look. Um, As I said, I won't look into too much detail. There is a lot of information here, a lot of literary devices. But if we use these ideas to lead us through, let's have a look. There's a lot of emotion in this poem, as we can see through the punctuation. He's trying to raise up your feelings. Up, up, my friend. Let's go. Come on. Books, exclamation mark. Hark, exclamation mark. And we see this passion for nature and for intuition as he contrasts these ideas with the other side, the science, the rational thought. We see him appealing in stanza three. Books, tis a dull and endless strife. Even the sentence itself is quite heavy. Dull and endless strife. Come, hear the woodland linnet. Even the sound, woodland linnet, is quite light. How sweet is music. On my life, there's more of wisdom in it. He's comparing that you can learn just as much from nature as you can from books, to be honest. The negativity that we see in his perspective against the scientific approach. Quote, our meddling intellect misshapes the beauteous forms of things. Even reading that line is quite um, difficult. It doesn't flow like some of the other ones. Our meddling intellect. Enough of science and art. Close up those barren leaves. Come forth and bring you with a heart that watches and receives. So again, we have this contrast. Enough of science and art. There's a nice imagery here with barren leaves because obviously he's talking about the leaves, the pages of books. They are made of trees, essentially. Come forth and bring you with a heart that watches and receives. So let's learn through observation. Let's learn passively through nature rather than forcefully onwards through rational and intellectual thought. In this poem, he's basically saying that through nature, we can find happiness, wisdom, truth. And with instinct, I mean, everyone's born with instinct, You don't have to learn it externally. So there's more of an internal focus as well as uh, self-reflection, a passive learning. Stanza six. One impulse from the vernal wood may teach you more of man, of moral evil and of good than all the sages can. So he's really reinforcing that idea that you can learn what's right and what's wrong not from other people, but from yourself and from nature. So you can see how the context can help us understand a little bit more about the text itself. And if you don't understand your text, then 
reading about the context or the introduction, if it has one, uh, can help greatly. Now, there's one thing that I wanted to talk about particularly because in a different podcast in uh, Project FIA Goes PC, we actually had an episode where uh, my friends and I talked about books. And one thing that I mentioned was the fact that, you know, I love books, I read practically everything, but there is this one book that I couldn't get through, and that was H.G. Wells's The War of the Worlds. Uh, you might have seen the movie, Tom Cruise, but I just couldn't get through the book. And I'm not the kind of person who sort of like leaves things half done. But I was actually thinking about this the other day. Why don't I like this book? I want to understand why I don't like it. And... Uh, I understand that the text itself was significant for the time because it was pretty much H.G. Wells is the forerunner of science fiction. And I personally didn't like War of the Worlds because I felt like it wasn't very exciting, I suppose, because we're in a way desensitized to certain ideas that were very new at the time, but are very old now, as in aliens in this case. Uh, so I just didn't feel that it was that interesting. However, I read another book of, uh, by H.G. Wells recently called The Invisible Man, and I really enjoyed that one. Now, I can see through The Invisible Man what he was doing in The War of the Worlds, because in The Invisible Man, H.G. Wells is really interested in the scientific realism of science fiction. So if we were, if it was possible to be invisible, if we had this science, how would it actually physically work? And he approaches it in a really interesting way. So if you were invisible, what about your, if your skin's invisible, what about your bloodstream? Does your blood have to be also invisible in that sense? When you eat, the food is not a part of you yet until it's digested. So are you able to see that? And obviously, if your body is invisible, you can't wear clothes, can you? So there's a very much an impracticality to this. Finally, understanding this realism that he's using I can see that in War of the Worlds, he is literally saying, okay, if aliens were here, what would the concrete sort of reaction be? How, how would the world actually react and how would they actually be defeated? And it's very realistic. And in that sense, it's not exciting. So there you go. I found my answer. So I highly recommend H.G. Wells as the Invisible Man. Um, and if you ever get stuck on a text, check out the other text that the same author wrote or, you know, works written in that era or the philosophy that might override that whole kind of time. So, for example, if you are uh, doing postmodern poetry that's post-World War II, look at a range of different texts. Look at a range of different authors as well. You might find some similarities in terms of what thoughts were happening, what kind of ideas were floating around at the time. Now, if you're interested in hearing a bit more about what I said in the other podcast, you can check it out. It's on iTunes and SoundCloud. Project FIA Goes PC, and it is episode number 13, titled, It's 1984, The Stakes Are Served High, Bananas Are Split, and Casinos Are Victorian. So you can go check that out if you like. So just to conclude this podcast about context, everything in life is interconnected. 
we're influenced by the times we're in. So if you ever get stuck on a text or you don't understand a certain era, do a bit more research. Look into what influenced the generation in that time. You might find out something really interesting or you might draw some links that you never saw before. For example, I always studied Mary Shelley, the author of Frankenstein, and Percy Shelley, the poet, another romantic poet, separately, and I never realized that they were actually married. Another thing is, if you ever study uh, feminist literature, you'll probably come across uh, a lady called Mary Wollstonecraft, who is most famous for her work, A Vindication of the Rights of Women. And it's one of the first feminist texts that we have in literature. And Mary Wollstonecraft is actually Mary Shelley's mother. So there are a lot of interesting facts that you might find just by looking a little into these authors' lives and the times they lived in. My name is Winifred Mock, and this is Wynn's Literary Corner. Hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and happy reading. <laughs>